Digital laut. This is the Digital laut podcast exploring seminal readings on digitization. My name is Christoph Engemann and we are coming to you from the Bauhaus University Weimar. Each episode of Digital Loud features a guest. This guest introduces a text or book they consider essential for understanding the ongoing digitization of societies and cultures. Our aim is to build a resource for students, scholars and anybody with an interest in the theory and praxis of digitization. We do this as a podcast for two reasons. Firstly and frankly, we can't do a book. In the current intellectual property rights milieu, it is impossible to collect and edit a set of seminal texts on digitization. The rights for the texts are either unavailable or prohibitively expensive. Secondly, digitization has given the spoken word a new value and accessibility. Today's texts are increasingly oral and is only apt to discuss the question of a canon of digitization in a spoken format. We will link to the texts where available in our show notes, and if you have questions or suggestions for DigitalOut, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us. And now, without further ado, to today's episode of DigitalOut, Reading the Digital. Dear listeners, this is Christoph Engemann with the DigitalOut podcast. We are recording a new episode today with the sociologist Dirk Becker, who is sitting across me and um, whom I'm welcoming uh, to the show. And uh, Dirk Becker has the word. Hello, I'm glad to hear, be here. Christoph, uh, my name is uh, Dirk Becker. I'm a sociologist. I'm, uh, I, I own the chair for cultural theory and management and at Witten Herdecke University. I'm currently the dean of this faculty um, and um, involved in a, a bigger project to prepare this very university for the digital era. And I would like to propose a book, um, or rather a chapter, to read um, concerning the digitization and datification of society, which has been written uh, in, or has been written in, in the 90s, appeared in 1996, um, Niklas Luhmann's Gesellschaft der Gesellschaft, translated into English uh, under the title of um, Theory of Society. We have a two-volume book, I think uh, 1,200 pages in all, in Germany and in, in, uh, in English it's two volumes. I, I think the Spanish even have five volumes made out of it. <laughs> Um, because it's five chapters, it's five chapters book. And I would like to talk a little bit about chapter two, which is a chapter about communication media, communication media involving two types of media, for one uh, so-called media of the distribution of communication, media making sure that everybody being interested indeed has a chance to get uh, to certain communications, even if not being present. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, uh, so-called success media or symbolically generalized uh, media, uh, which have the uh, duty or have the task of ensuring certain communications uh, to happen which are improbable to begin with. Like, for instance, um, you want to buy something from somebody else mm -hmm. and you have to give money for that. Or you want to have an intimate relation with somebody and you have to give love love for that or you want to insist on some experience which for others are unusual or unfamiliar and you, ha you have to claim truths for it such that love, money, truths 
law and arts in a certain way are media to ensure the success of improbable media. And what I would like, would like to propose is to read um, chapter 2, um, section 7, which is dealing with electronic media as one kind or one type of uh, those distribution media. You already gave us uh, an overview of uh, certain um, elements of Luhmann's thinking. Uh, perhaps if we uh, step back a moment before we uh, uh, approach this chapter or engage with this chapter, could you say a few words about Luhmann for our international listeners? You said uh, we have translations in English and Spanish and other languages. Um, that you Russian, Russian, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Italian. A little bit, even even a little bit in French. Even, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so the closest neighbor uh, in Europe uh, still has to discover this thinker. Even though, at least under my impression, I've lived uh, for a while in the U.S., um, Luhmann is still a name that people have some kind of uh, distant knowledge about. You know, it rings a bell, um, but it's they they have difficulty to uh, place him. Uh, and uh, in some cases, they know he's a sociologist. Um, Often he is put into the drawer together with uh, Parsons, uh, especially with U.S. sociologists. At the same time, you just told us we have an actually global sort of uh, situation of, of translations in many languages and hence a certain success and a certain uh, form of reception. So uh, for those who, who have not a good idea, could you please uh, give a little bit of an idea how, where to place uh, Luhmann um, as a sociologist And also as a thinker, I think it's it's good to start with the uh, with the birth date of of Niklas Luhmann, which is uh, 1927, because that means that he he still experienced the Second World War as a so-called Flakhelfer. I don't know the English word for that. Somebody who is standing behind um, the smaller anti-aircraft guns. Anti-aircraft guns, exactly, which could be which could be served by by 17, 18 years old. You didn't have to go into real military uh, heavy gear uh, situations in order to be able to do that. So he experienced the end of the war um, by standing behind these anti-aircraft um, guns. Um, And uh, started after that a, a formation as a jurist, a lawyer and jurist, and started at the same time to read lots of works of Edmund Husserl. And this combination of having experienced the war, um, being or starting to be a lawyer, and being interested in Husserl's uh, philosophy of consciousness somehow is to be explained in order to understand who Luhmann was. Luhmann was deeply struck by the quickness um, in 1945 uh, with which uh, the situation of a, a Anrechtsregime, a, a regime of uh, lawlessness, lawlessness, thank you, uh, the, the Nazi regime uh, turned into a regime of democratic law. Mm -hmm. Like the, 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 the turning of a, of a, of a hand uh, mm -hmm. from one minute to the next minute, situation changed and he asked himself and asked his uh, People around him, how can it happen that such a disorder or seeming dictatorial order switches so quick into a, a completely different order? And he thought that law is a possible answer to that. Yeah? Meaning no, that lawlessness turning into law may be explained by law. And he had then, of course, had to experience that law is, um, that's a study of law, legal studies, 
are not exactly the answer to that. So he began to um, look into Husserl, completely different uh, area of, of thinking, in order to understand the self-referential operations of certain systems, in this case the consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, and certain possibilities in these systems to switch from one state to another. Uh, and then he realized, well, that Husserl knows any, everything about uh, the self-referential, intentional operations of consciousness, but nothing about societies. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting at a certain point, uh, 1950 something, nine or, or even 1960, he was sitting in a um, ministerium in Hanover, Hanover, and getting an invitation by the uh, American um, Besatzungsbehörden, by the American uh, authorities, uh, who invited um, officers in, uh, in German ministers to come to um, New York, uh, or to Harvard, um, properly speaking, and to learn about the American legal system. Uh, and, he, and he did that, he accepted the invitation, he accepted the grant, went to, to Harvard and didn't study legal studies once again, but went to Telka Parsons because he had already realized that indeed you need sociology to understand such a societal situation. Yeah? Uh, sometimes ways are longer than you think in order to understand where problems uh, lie, you, you search solutions uh, to. So he studied Telka Parsons. Telka Parsons was a, a, an immensely popular a sociologist um, doing system theory, deeply impressed by Freud's psychoanalysis, deeply impressed by medical studies, deeply impressed by theories of biology, even um, a very a real, a real cognitive scientist, if I may say so. Mm -hmm. And he studied him for a year and went back to Germany and did in a so-called Annus Mirabilis, a year of wonder, Uh, both his dissertation and his postdoctoral dissertation, so-called habilitation. Uh, that's interesting uh, because uh, at the same time, yeah, middle of the 70s, uh, Turkle Parsons has been heavily attacked by American sociologists for being a deeply reactionary sociologist because Parsons was always talking about ways for social systems to keep in a certain equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And of course, in the 70s, you weren't interested in equilibria, but you were interested in change. Yes. So everybody thought, well, Tucker Parsons is a, the wrong person to look to if you search for changing matter patterns of, of society. And all of a sudden, uh, despite a real deep theoretical geniality uh, in Tucker Parsons, he was out of the heart um, of any interested. And Luhmann has been a Parsons uh, mm -hmm. disciple of some kind. So um, when um, Luhmann did in Germany uh, his work for 10 or 20 years and went back to America, or even when, when I myself went to the United States, to California in the late 80s, talking about that you are interested in system theory meant for Americans that you hadn't uh, learned about Talcott Parsons not being among any interesting person anymore. Yeah, you were just from some some hidden places, which uh, which uh, which were not up to date to to uh, new and interesting uh, developments in science. Uh, and it took it took years and decades, indeed, um, for American sociologists to, for once, um, rediscover Talcott Parsons in certain areas, and then look to to Nicholas Luhmann as being interesting. And to, well, to tell everything about that, uh, it's only in some 
areas of network theory uh, influenced by Harrison White when Niklas Luhmann still is being read. Okay. So that's uh, why nobody exactly knows about him. We now have this book in front of us, The Gesellschaft der Gesellschaft, published in 1997. Luhmann is uh, 70 years old. And as the title already shows, um, it uh, promises to give an, a fundamental uh, overview of how to approach the problem of society. It's a complete theory um, that he uh, tries to offer looking back at his life and sort of rearranging or digesting uh, his at that point already big oeuvre of many books. I have no idea how many books he published oh, actually. Uh, more than 30. Yes. Yeah. So um, this is, uh, this is uh, sort of the condensation of these books. Famously, it starts with this line where he talks about how he, when he was hired at the University of Bielefeld, which was a newly funded university in the late 60s, he was uh, asked to write a project program and that he wrote, um, my project is a theory of society, duration 30 years, cost none. And um, as he says, not without wit at that point, uh, I actually made that happen. Now, 30 years later, here is the fulfillment of this program. Um, and within this book, there is um, the second chapter on media, where uh, we have the section seven on electronic media. Dear, could you give us an idea what Luhmann uh, offers here? I think it's good to start with uh, a certain hint to, to Luhmann's notion of communication. Mm -hmm. uh, because anything he had to say about society in general and any specific societal situation, be it a family or an organization or a love relationship or, um, or whatever, um, depends on um, assuming uh, contraintuitively that communication intensely looked at is improbable. Um, that I have to say something and that you listen to me um, is improbable Because why would I talk to you? Mm -hmm. And why and how would you uh, risk listening to me and perhaps hearing something or understanding something you never, you never wanted to know? Yes. Yeah? You, you don't know what I want. Um, perhaps you don't even know what you want. So any, any social situation has a certain deep risk uh, in it, uh, which has to be surmounted um, in order to happen nevertheless. Yes. Uh, interesting about this is that, of course, social situations happen regularly uh, by, the by the billions. You know, there's communication everywhere. And we, we in, 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 in the vernacular or in the everyday behavior, we have the impression that the most probable thing of all is indeed communication. So in order to um, not be impressed by this first uh, idea of communication being probable, Luhmann starts um, and has some psychological, even philosophical reasons for that, starts with the idea of improbability and develops the main thesis organizing his whole work that there have to be structures, structures um, which translate the deep improbability of communication into a seeming um, usual and normal and familiar probability such that families and organizations and schools and churches and armies and hospitals and so on seem to run on a completely unproblematic uh, level. 
So, and the question Luhmann is asking is, what structures are turning improbable communication, inherently improbable communication, but because the other is unknown to you, and you yourself may be unknown to yourself because you never exactly know what you really want, which structures are turning improbable communication into probable communication? And one answer is there have to be media. There have to be media which um, mediate between what is happening on one side, the teller, the sender of information, the, uh, the speaker, and on the other side, the listener, the uh, receiver of some uh, information. And some of these, uh, um, some of these uh, media, these structures turning communication into probable events are the so-called uh, media of the distribution of communication, such that, for instance, writing, or better, print, enables you, uh, without having to talk to an author, without having to risk going somewhere uh, and disturbing uh, somebody writing some text uh, to look at something and learn about philosophy or gardening or whatever is interesting you. Uh, you, you. You turn to a book and you open it and you start reading it. And you risk that, you risk that because you can always close the book again and stop reading, uh, which is very important. And Luhmann, some, Luhmann's theory somehow maybe summed uh, as saying, please realize, dear reader, that you always can close the book you are right now reading, even my own book. Yes. Uh, uh. So, and uh, the, the consequence, of course, is now a both, let's say, mycological consequence. How are readers to be convinced to listen? How are they to be convinced to understand? How they are to be convinced to, to read? How are they be to, to be convinced to, to, to watch television or to go to a cinema or to go into, to a theater? Yeah? Imagine going to a theater. You never know what will happen. Um, and saying that um, on this mycological level, people have to be recruited in order to participate in the communication. And then there is a macrological level and, of course, also a mesological. I have to say that Luhmann is not using this level distinction we call yes. meso macro, but it's in order to, to explain what's, what's about, I use it nevertheless. Um, there is a macrological um, interest in Luhmann which says a society which is only communicating in terms of oral communication is something else um, from a society which, is, which has also a written communication like our ancient societies, the Incas, um, African kingdoms, uh, Greeks, Romans, Chinese, Japanese, and so on. And again, uh, a society which has not only oral communication and not oral uh, written communication, but all the print communication, so-called modern communication, is completely different from this ancient one. Mm -hmm. So his interest consists in how are these media turning improbable communication into probable communication, producing on a macro level a society which is offering, offering completely different structures in, no, in distinction from earlier societies. Mm -hmm. And only in this series of understanding different media of communication, his interest in electronic uh, media is, is, is based. Yeah? Actually, he is saying, like many people are saying, beginning with uh, Marshall McLuhan, that, the, uh, that human, human history may be separated into four epochs of uh, evolution or development, oral, uh, 
uh, tribe societies, ancient uh, writing societies, modern print societies, and some kind of new society which has also electronic media. When does this new society start for Luhmann? When do electronic media surmount the print media? He is not very precise about that. For him, the computer is the threshold, okay. which means uh, it starts in the 40s and becomes uh, visible and dominant in society in the 50s and 60s for organizations mm -hmm. and in the 80s and mostly 90s for the rest of the population, which is interesting because uh, that way... Uh, con in, in, in completely opposition, in complete opposition to what we are thinking now, uh, you have first to look for organizations yes. in order to understand digitalization, and then to look for people in ordinary behavior having some means uh, in electronic media. So when you say organization, we are talking about uh, both public and private institutions. We're talking about firms uh, as well as administrations. And uh, Luhmann's point at that point would be that organizations change the way they are structured, function and deliver their services and also delineate inside and outside uh, in the moment computers appear within these organizations, which would be sometimes in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And then we have a, we have a succession, I would probably say, I'm not sure if that's the right term uh, in this context of this theory of an expansion of these um, uh, um, appearance of uh, electronic media or Uh, slash computers uh, until say sometime in the 90s with World Wide Web uh, where basically every day life gets altered and affected and the consumer is, is, the, is, is basically the ultimate uh, or the last point of, uh, of being approached and embraced by this development. I think what, what has to be emphasized is uh, that Luhmann at some early point um, in the 50s and 60s um, studied computers appearing in uh, in organizations, then lost completely this uh, phenomenon out of sight, never looked back at it, and uh, started to do it again on, only in the 90s, because uh, he then realized at some point, of course, he had, he had of course, already in the, in, the, in the 60s, became of more and more importance, which is the, 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 the very speed of electronic communication. Uh, he, I, I think he never really read uh, Marshall McLuhan, talking about uh, electronic media being based on electricity, which means uh, working in the, in the speed of light, mm -hmm. uh, working in some mode of instantaneity, yes. yeah, of Sofortigkeit in German. Um, he never did that, but he, he realized, nevertheless, that what he was interested in, um, uh, in other areas as well, meaning social systems being highly temporalized, yes. social systems consisting... Uh, of events, uh, a communication is something, an oral communication is something which appears and then disappears again. You listen to it and it stands for a little moment in the room, so to speak, and then it disappears again. So it has a highly temporal existence. Uh, of course, as soon as you start to write and as soon as you start to print, uh, this very communication gets a very lasting effect. You can come back to it again and again. And what Luhmann knew, um, due to studies by Havelock and others, was that um, the whole Greek uh, culture was changed by the ability to, in fact, look at communication, not disappearing again when it appeared, but standing on the walls, yes. so to speak, or standing on certain pergaments such that you can uh, analyze the words standing there and asking yourself, what do they mean? 
And now again, in, 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 as at, in the very moment electronic media appear, you get the situation of real-time communication, of a highly temporalized communication coming up and disappearing at once. And what he was interested in first in organization and then in everyday behavior was, was how are societies, how are people able to deal with a, such a temporalized communication? And well, you can say they are used to it because oral communication is already temporalized as well. But unluckily enough, the computerized communication is both temporal and archived or memorized or getting back to you. Yeah? So you have to deal with the moment and realize that this moment may have lasting effects you never exactly know about. And if you, moreover, uh, think about the, uh, the computer behind the effects on your screen or whatever output uh, media you use, uh, doing its own calculations, then you know that some, somebody, something, the computer, is uh, contributing to that, compute, uh, to that communication. You have no idea about how it functions, those black boxes mm -hmm. behind the displays. And this was interesting. Luhmann and electronic media for him raised the big problem, how is society becoming to be able to react to such a highly incalculable, highly temporalized, instantaneous communication where machines, invisible machines, are contributing in, a, in an invisible way to the very communication you are relying on as a human being. Yeah? in professions like uh, a trader at his uh, Bloomberg terminals mm -hmm. or a physician in hospitals or a soldier uh, in the field yeah, or a physicist in his research areas and so on. Highly professionalized activities, deeply uh, dependent on dealing somehow with that computer mm -hmm. without ever exactly understanding how those computers are working. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the everyday behavior, your, your usual search uh, uh, machine behavior and so on. So you basically just explained this, uh, this Section 7 of this chapter to us. Did I understand you right? A little bit about it. A little yeah. bit about it. There are different aspects as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, then let's look into those. Um, if I may rephrase that and how far I understand it. Um, is um, that his basic argument is that with the computer, uh, a new I know this is the wrong word, but a new participant appears basically in every communication yeah. whose uh, form of participation becomes um, another element or another dimension of contingency of communication within this communication. Exactly. And uh, we have this sort of additional recursivity in this improbability of communication that with digital media appears exactly. that would yeah. be his yeah. his his position yeah. and then the problem becomes can society uh, in any form develop means of managing or maybe even and i know this becomes difficult with luman politically regulate or in any other form react to this sort of uh, Tertiary, I don't know why I want to call it this, this way, tertiary form of recursion in the improbability of communication. First of all, um, you have to look at how, how Luhmann is able to, to understand communication, um, a communication where computers are participating at all. This depends on his, his notion of communication, which is not like action yes. um, being um, initiated by an actor. Mm -hmm. Communication is happening between 
different actors. Mm -hmm. you, you can in a certain way communicate with yourself mm -hmm. because you are used to communicate with others so you can simulate what, what's happening there mm -hmm. like you can talk to yourself uh, mm -hmm. if you want. Um, some, some people do indeed want to yes. talk to themselves. But usually and in, in its, its social, uh, let's say, uh, range of consequences, it's, it's, a, it's a distributed matter. And in order to be able to look that, Luhmann says, well, uh, any communication consists of information, utterance, And understanding. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that face-to-face um, -face communication, information, utterance, and understanding are approximately one single moment. Even as understanding comes a little later than information. Mm -hmm. And understanding is, is responsible for doing a distinction between information and utterance. You are telling me something, and I may be interested in why you are telling that to me in this moment, mm -hmm. focusing on the, on the utterance. Yes. And you're telling me about something and I might be maybe interested in the information. Yes. And I only understand, so Luhmann says, I understand our communication if I am able, am able to, to distinguish between utterance and information. So, and now he looks at what the computer is doing with that communication. And he's saying, well, look at it. Information, utterance and understanding are completely differentiated, auseinandergezogen, ne? separated yes. moments. Yeah? And this separation of these moments enables the computer to do its, its own calculations, mm -hmm. to change information, mm -hmm. to combine it with other communication, to uh, bring in utterances by some algorithm with which things, well, if, if, if the person is searching for a certain word, uh, he should be presented with another word as well, mm -hmm. yeah? which is more interesting than what he's searching for. Yeah, our search algorithms are doing that, uh, such that the very the very possibility of communication being a distributed phenomenon enables the computer to intervene. Mm -hmm. yeah? mm -hmm. And we have, that, that's your question or our answer to your question, we have to come up with the societal means to accept the computer to intervene. We have to accept it because when, if we don't accept it, we can't deal with that. What I like to think and or to say, uh, we only accept something which we also can reject. Yeah, so it's interesting, and in a Lumen perspective, and in some other perspectives as well, it's, it's interesting to look at those last 60 years as a, a time, an epoch, where lots of rejections of the computer happened. And inside these rejections, for instance, uh, in, the, in, the, in hospitals, the computer needed 40 years to come from the sellers, yeah, where he did some, 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 some number crunching, up to the, the beds uh, in, in, near, the, near the patients. 40 years only to yeah, come from the, from the seller to, to some upper uh, um, etage, and upper, uh, upper floors. Upper floor, thank you. Yeah? So the thesis is the societal, the societal means to come to terms with the computer is a means which, com which combines rejection and acceptations. Or in other words, needs ways to learn about where computers may be useful, despite some computer developers uh, thinking and promising the wealth of, uh, um, I don't know, innovations uh, coming from those uh, stupid things. Okay, so uh, two points here. Uh, one is, so you would say one could write a history of the computer by looking at these episodes of rejection mm -hmm. in certain fields. So we could go, for example, into private institutions, firms, and see how is this negotiated? Where does the computer appear? Where does somebody come up with some narrative of solutions? How is it rejected? And this, you would say, is an ongoing process. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, 
you would also say, uh, perhaps uh, um, that's also Luhmann's point, that this disconnect you described uh, between information understanding that uh, that we have in the um, communication when the computer appears is not necessarily being perceived as such because the intervention or the intervening factors of the computer can happen so fast mm -hmm. that we don't realize that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So your example of searching, we don't actually notice this uh, intervention we expected, but at the same time, we have no idea how complex this intermediary process of the, of the uh, interactions or the um, activities the computer does is. Yeah. Okay. And this is also part of this point of this reappearance of this, let's say, sort of unmittelbarkeitsanmutung, you would say in German. So this, 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 um, proposition uh, of immediacy. Yeah. Proposition of immediacy. Thank you. Uh, that the computer has that, that's, that brings it in a way on at least, uh, on the, um, level of experience of perception closer to some kind of oral situation. Yeah. And, and to, and to give you an impression of the, so to speak, smell uh, of this chapter we are talking about. Um, we can we can look at this at this comparison Luhmann does on, on a certain page in this chapter. He's he's saying, well, the interesting thing about the computer is the relationship between the the screen mm -hmm. or the surface of what we are able to to experience with the computer and the depths the depths of calculations happening happening out of sight. And he's saying, well, uh, that's not new for uh, humankind, uh, for mankind, sorry, because we had this before. Uh, there has been a relationship between surface uh, being visible and depths before in religion, yeah? where you have the, the, the priest standing in front of a, a, a altar um, and God and, and saints and devils and so on being completely visible but having to be divined, to, to erraten, to, to supposed, yeah, uh, when, when looking at the priest. Yes. Yeah? So you have a surface which is visible and a depth which is invisible. Yes. So, uh, and which is fascinating. Yeah? This very, very uh, relationship between depth and uh, surface is fascinating. And Luhmann is insinuating in a certain way uh, that the, the fascination we experience when, when sitting for, before our computer screens is similar to that religious uh, experience, yeah? which is, in, in my understanding, a wonderful explanation of the addiction uh, we, we are inclined to experience when, using our, when looking at our displays. But the, the way he is uh, uh, investing into in order to understand the computer, is a comparison between seemingly completely different social phenomena. Okay, but this, like, um, connecting this to a contemporary discussion which has, a, a, you know, quite some political um, flock, this is also a, a comment on the black box and the black box problem and, and uh, accountability of algorithms, yeah. uh, AI and so forth. Yeah. So um, would Luhmann say it is structurally impossible to impose accountability on algorithms um, or any kind of complex um, decision-making that happens within computers? Or is he describing a situation um, that um, uses experience or, uh, let's say, uh, that is uh, true for non-experts? Both, I'd say. Yeah, because first of all, uh, Luhmann has no problem in describing any behavior uh, as a behavior with a black box or as a behavior in inter, inter, uh, involving interactions, black boxes, because we are used to that. 
human beings are black boxes for each other. Um, they don't look into their respective minds, let alone brains, let alone livers and what, what, what kidneys and so on, and accept their behavior nevertheless. Yeah, uh, Certain intimate relationships um, kept apart, yeah, where you see more than you perhaps want to see. So black box behavior is for Luhmann the very, the very precondition for being able to develop an autonomous way to communicate without having to understand what exactly the black box you are sitting in front of is trying to do or is trying to reach. Yeah, No problem about that. That's the one, one, one part of the answer. The other part of the answer is that, um, of course, accountability is possible always, but it's always fictitious as well. Yeah, and we are used to that um, when dealing with the behavior of organizations. Nobody exactly knows where certain decisions leading to an accident in in organization had been taken, but we have our means to look at the uh, hierarchical apex of the organization and some some uh, departments of the organization, some engineers and so on, and saying, well, there there is the decision originated which led to this accident, which is fictitious. And we can do that, of course, with uh, algorithms as well, looking at software developers, looking at people doing hardware development, looking at people uh, buying the, the hardware and the software in the first place and saying, well, they are responsible for this uh, aircraft um, yeah. Yeah. coming down. Coming down. Yes. Yeah? Coming back to this temporal aspect and, and the capacity of the computer, this would also mean that Luhmann argues, um, if I understand it correctly, that the amount or the, the sum of intermediacies of Vermittlungen uh, escalates with the computer. Is that properly put? No, that, no. It of course, the speed accelerates, yes. Uh, but that's nothing new because with print uh, somehow it did already accelerate and not to speak of, of, of railways and things like that. It's rather the, um, the falling apart, uh, the falling away of certain, let's say, delay factors uh, in, 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 in world society that are sub subverted, um, unterlaufen, subverted by electronic communication like the nation. Yeah, setting up certain borders, mm -hmm. like uh, post offices, um, which gave your time of one or two or three days before an answer by a letter you expect, in fact, did arrive you, mm -hmm. or by yeah whatever um, whatever as geographical distance is uh, is necessary to to be uh, to be surmounted in order to reach another person. All those geographical spatial filtering devices yeah, which gave you time to react are falling away and that indeed not only not exactly accelerates but guarantees that you are confronted right now with the necessity to react to something you wouldn't like to react to yeah you you come out of a certain situation and you 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 uh, you fell in love with some 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 person you met and you look at your smartphone display and you you see a beautiful person, mm -hmm. yeah. you say, well, she or he seems even more beautiful than the person I just met. What am I doing? Yeah. So this uncertainty produced by an instantaneous possibility to compare what you in a present moment experience with some fictitious world which is brought to you on the, on the display of the, of, the, of the smartphone is challenging you um, to, to come up with certain 
competences in dealing with that uncertainty. Yeah? And what Blumen is saying is, if society doesn't manage to give you means to deal with that uncertainty, then at this very moment it will fall apart. He does not offer, if I understand that correctly in this chapter, solutions to that problem yet, right? I mean, he is he's describing the situation you just showed to us of increasing contingency, of increasing necessity to make decisions, uh, of, a, of a new temporalization of, of basically um, all kinds of aspects of everyday life. And uh, from there he develops uh, the notion of this, needs, this is a new challenge for society that needs to be tackled or um, you know, be made part of communication again. But it stays descriptive so, so far, as far as I have read it. Or would you disagree at that yeah, point? Yeah, we may, we may do a little bit of feast forwarding, yes. <laughs> jumping from uh, section 7 to section 14, if I'm right, which is a wonderful and highly speculative uh, um, section in this chapter and in this whole book, where Luhmann is saying, well, uh, it's this, this appearance of electronic media is in fact not the first communicational catastrophe uh, mankind has to experience it happened with the print and writing and language even uh, before mm -hmm. and he is saying well uh, there have to be solutions to each one of these catastrophes which he precisely describes why they are catastrophes we don't have to go into that um, one one of course one point is this uh, very fastness this very forcing you to react in real time and he's he saying well at least at least it's necessary to have a cultural way to understand what is happening. Mm -hmm. yeah? And what he's saying is, well, look at modern society. Um, you, you can only deal with the printing press and libraries and the wealth of knowledge that they, are produced, uh, they were producing if you somehow believe in something like reason, reasonableness, yeah? uh, meaning um, there are different uh, aspects of knowledge you may look at because they are, have been written about and printed, But they all come up with a certain reasonable ordering of the world, yeah? a Kantian idea. Mm -hmm. And you can put Descartes into it, what actually is doing Luhmann, by saying, well, uh, how, how dynamical modern society is, it must be in a certain equilibrium mm -hmm. in terms of individuals, in terms of economic uh, situations, in terms of political pro process and so on, process and so on. Equilibria and reasonable equilibria are a cultural means to understand and accept what is happening in one society. And what he says, saying is, uh, this, will this will need to happen uh, with electronic media as well. Electronic media, because being so fast, will force us to develop a cultural understanding of temporal forms. Temporal forms are forms which uh, appear and disappear at almost the same, the very same moment. And he's saying, well, that cultural understanding of temple forms may consist in the understanding of the complexity, of the complexity of any social situation. What is complex, what is complex about a social situation? In fact, the participation of bodies, of uh, brains, of minds, of social conventions, and of technical means, all in once in order to let happen what in that social situation happens. And it's complex because you cannot reduce brains to minds. You cannot reduce minds 
to bodies. You cannot reduce bodies to social situations. They are completely different or incommensurable mm -hmm. systems mm -hmm. which have to be synchronized mm -hmm. and which can only be synchronized for the moment, mm -hmm. which is the temple form. And that's what he's saying or what I'm reading in this chapter. Mm -hmm. I must tell the truth in this moment. What I'm reading in this chapter is um, forget about Kantian reason. We don't organize our life by letting mind dominate everything else. Start to think about complexity. <laughs> Do you see any aesthetic um, developments that reflect, if that even is the right word here, um, but or let's say react to um, this coping or tackling or um, um, working uh, with uh, this temporality, with this notion? of uh, managing this temporal phenomena? Lots okay. of. Yeah, and, and of course, you, you know what you are asking for, why you are asking. Uh, the best example is indeed happening in, in, the, in, the, in the theaters yes. right now. Uh, we have since 20, 30 years, depending on where you look at, uh, we have a wonderful switch from so-called Sprechtheater, the speaking theater, yeah, where dominating figures are standing on their stages and talking in a eloquent and convincing manner and, of course, uh, um, failing in, in convincing the others, but still talking, yeah, to a performance theater where there is still language, but in a completely precarious, risked, stumbling way and where the focus is more on bodies, on bodies in certain situations, on light effects, on acoustical effects, Uh, looking at, at human beings in their organic in their yeah in their organic fragility in their vulnerability and and, and inviting the, the spectator to begin to admire how how human beings in most strange situations are able to to gather what they have as mind and brain and body and possibilities of movement and possibilities to meet and to separate again and so on. So, so we are looking at our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We're looking at our vulnerability and we don't believe in, in any reason letting us talk and dominate our situations anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah? that's, that's one example where indeed in aestheticism, in, 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 in the arts, um, certain people, performances are um, the avant-garde in understanding in which situation we are. Um, so I'm struck by this in a, in a, in a certain way because uh, like my suspicion is, uh, is two ways there or it comes from two sides there. One is why this Greek motive of the theater where society gathers, assembles and sort of um, deliberates, if you allow this term, um, these kinds of problems, how social relations are to be managed, to be looked at, what sort of paradoxes uh, appear, can they be solved, are they, are they operatic, and so forth. So there is a certain, you know, certain uh, um, reaching back deep into history and into, into, an, into an old and uh, uh, very Western model, how this is uh, negotiated. Uh, that's one point. The other point, um, does the scale so um, theaters are relatively small spaces, uh, and what you describe is um, is available to few. But the problem we are talking about um, is a problem that uh, many have that perhaps are not able, you know, to yeah. experience th this yeah. sort of negotiating these problems. 
Uh, of course, the theater has only been one example. The, the maybe more more pervasive uh, example, which concerns us all, is the very display of your smartphone, which is a a wonder in design. Yeah, it's it's giving you a complete impression of being able to be in control on the one side, and at the same time um, fascinating uh, you by knowing that you uh, started to to understand the surface of its possibilities. And there's always something behind which you didn't understand uh, before. And what is called at the MIT in, 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 uh, in, in Cambridge, uh, effective computing, yes. meaning a, a design of interfaces which by the machine give you emotional means to attach to it. Mm -hmm. yeah? It's the most interesting aesthetic mm -hmm. uh, device of uh, drawing us into a world We don't have to have to understand in order to be able to move in it. Okay, let's circle back to uh, Luhmann and then we have to conclude. Uh, we already uh, talked for about an hour. Yes. Um, is there in this, uh, in this uh, chapter, in this text, any other aspect that you want to highlight or where you would say uh, we, a, a reader should look at this in order to, to think about digital media and so-called digitization, which digitalisierung, which is a very German word and an odd word? to say because it presupposes that there is something that is undigitized which is in the process of becoming digitized yeah. and this before after uh, construction of course uh, should be viewed with with some skepticality at the same time uh, it is the political um, notion of the time in germany and we cannot uh, uh, neglect it but coming to luman and and this chapter seven on electronic media is there another aspect that you want to uh, highlight or Discuss. Well, there are indeed many, many reasons to uh, to deeply regret that Luhmann died when he uh, was just uh, just uh, 71 years old, because I would have loved to have his comments on uh, digitalization or Industry 4.0 yes. or whatever, and we don't have them, and that's that's uh, unfortunate, uh, very unfortunate. Well, the, yes, yes. Uh, when when he wrote this chapter in some some time in 1994, 1996, 1997, um, he um, placed a certain alert, a warning, a warning uh, in the middle of the chapter, uh, telling us that the interesting thing about electronic media is indeed presenting their information, their participation in communication to us on displays, mm -hmm. which means we do a visual. A visual reception uh, of it, not just a reading, not just a listening, um, but a visual uh, reception of an optical um, uh, reception of it, which means we cannot reject what we are seeing. It's like it, it's exactly like in pictures or images. You but you you may not believe a picture, but you have already seen it uh, as soon as you start not to believe it. Mm -hmm. Which means, um, what, but, and that's what Luhmann is saying, the display communication brought forward by the computer is a communication which is not rejectable. Yeah? You can put the smartphone away, yes. but as soon as you look to a, to, to a screen, you see what you're seeing and you are impressed by it before you even can start your critical thinking mm -hmm. or your philological thinking of trying to find out how are these effects produced. Mm -hmm. Which means... Uh, Any competence you gained in reading books, mm -hmm. where you always could jump forward and backward in order to uh, train your critical thinking, is lost with the, uh, with the display of the computer. 
Yeah, we are lost uh, about our our critical thinking. So how are we able to to stay both rejective and um, well prepared to accept something if we cannot if we, if we cannot uh, reject the very first communication those machines are presenting us? So um, I mean, Luhmann writes in in '98. He has a desktop computer. There's no smartphone yet, uh, and of course he uh, he doesn't have a desktop computer. So he doesn't even have a computer. But he, he has probably a, he has, has a typewriter. He has a typewriter. A typewriter with a display of four lines. Lines. Okay. Or even five, I think. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, but today we have a completely different environment when it comes to computer. We have the smartphones, the tablets, uh, the laptops, but also um, what people call environmental media, uh, computers that interact with, uh, with us in indirect ways, in ways that we probably only peripherally be aware of. And uh, also address other senses than the visual sense. You know, for example, this podcast is probably primarily being addressed by a hearing. And uh, so, um, do you still think that this uh, notion that he comes up with here, with this visual dominance of of uh, digital media, uh, holds true, or would you say you have to alter the argument slightly in order to make it amenable to this? Uh, current developments well um, what Luhmann couldn't know at the time he was writing was in fact how um, how we started to reformulate even to reformate our understanding of our brains our minds and our bodies when you look when you look at our use of computers of smartphones and so on it's amazing um, how fast we are in in their practical use how fast we are in understanding practically how to go about those machines and how slowly we can afford to be in our mental understanding of it. And looking at this, we, we, we start to realize, and that's what I'm interested in, in, in fact, we start to realize that there is a certain intelligence in, in using uh, artificial intelligence or technical intelligence, which uh, may, has to be distinguished in terms of um, practical intelligence mental intelligence, even neural intelligence. Yeah, our brains have to be prepared to, to look at uh, computer screens and the fastness certain, certain pictures are, are, uh, are scrolling uh, there in order to understand what's, what's, what's going on there, trained, of course, by the cinema. So uh, I don't think you, you can stick to the visual or can stick to the auditive. You have indeed think uh, multimedially. About the about this screen, the computer, and our ways to communicate with it and against it. Okay, so Dirk Becker, thank you uh, for um, uh, giving us this insight into Niklas Luhmann's thinking and his relevance, and indeed uh, very inspiring uh, um, ideas and thoughts about electronic media and digital media alter um, how societies relate to themselves and how individuals have to relate both to themselves and that which they perceive and experience as society. I think there was a lot to ponder about and I hope our listeners uh, will start reading Luhmann, not only in order to think about digital media, but in general to uh, get an idea what this um, uh, sociologist and thinker about the problem of the social had to offer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.